Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. good to have you here this morning. Uh, this morning for Father's Day, we always do something a little different. We've done discussion panels, stuff like that. Um, this morning, we're going to do what I'm calling a four by seven. A four by seven. And what that is, I've invited uh, four men that I respect and I call friends. And I love the way they love their families. Um, I don't believe any of us, as I said earlier, I don't believe any of us are perfect. But the heart that these men have uh, for their families is incredible. And so our speakers this morning will come up in order, and the first one is going to be Jason Hoyles, and then followed by that is Andrew Lakin, followed by him is Damian Riley, and then my pastor is coming to close it out, Pastor Charles. And so let's pray this morning, and let's pray for these men as they are preparing to come and share. Father, we thank you for the privilege and honor to come into your house to worship the Lord, to celebrate who you are, And Lord, as we talk about fathers today, as we celebrate men in our lives, whether they're biological fathers or spiritual fathers or uncles or just dads that step in in places that need to be filled, Lord, we just thank you for those. And we open up our hearts and our ears to hear from you today. Lord, I pray over each one of these men that are coming to share that, Lord, you will protect them, you will guide them, Lord, that Holy Spirit, hide them behind the cross and let their words be your words. Speak through them today and bring them peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you welcome Jason Hoyles as he comes? Good morning. It's been a long time since I've been up on the stage uh, preaching, so I'm nervous. Uh, has anyone seen the, um, the Old Spice commercial with the guys like spraying sweat out of his armpit? Yeah, I just want to say you guys are in the splash zone right there, okay? So... Uh, as Pastor Chad said, uh, my name is Jason. Uh, before we dig into the scripture this morning... Um, I just want to tell you a few things about myself. Uh, there should be a picture coming up here in just a second. Uh, there, there's my family, uh, my wife, Annette, uh, my daughter, uh, Annika, who's 11, and Isaac, uh, who's 14, and our dog, Sina, uh, who has a heart of blackness. <laughs> he looks cute, but he killed a bird yesterday. So, uh, yeah. Um, now, when my wife and I reflect on uh, how long we've been married, my wife will often say, boy, that's a really long time to be married. Uh, we've been married, we'll be married 20 years this August. Um, some, sometimes I think what, what she really wants to say is, boy, that's a really long time to be married to you. But, you know, I'm kidding. We, we do have a good, a good marriage. Always things to work on, of course, but a good marriage. I also want to uh, do a confession here this morning um, to, to all the men. I'm not a very handy guy. Um, you know, men come in different sizes, shapes, and abilities. And one of my worst abilities is caulking. Okay? And again, we've got another picture coming up here. Uh, this is a, a painting by Jackson Pollock. There it is. That's what my caulking looks like. Now, I'm wanting some active vocal participation from the congregation this morning. So, men, okay, when I point my mic at you, you're going to grunt, okay? Here we go. We're going to try it. All right, now, it's not an angry grunt that I want, like, or like you're, you're upset, or you've just woken up in the morning, you haven't had your coffee yet. It's like a positive grunt. <clears throat> I like that. <clears throat> okay, let's try that again. Now, ladies, it's your turn. Now, you got, you know, I, you got to find that lower register, okay? It's there. I, I, you know, when you get mad at your kids, it's there, okay? So here we go. Ladies? Oh, great. That's great. Now, everybody, all at the same time. All right. You got it. So let's read our scripture here this morning. Uh, please go to Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 to 9. It says, listen, Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. 
You must love the Lord your God with your whole mind, your whole being, and all your strength. These words I am commanding you today must be kept in mind, and you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road, as you lie down, as you get up. You should tie them as a reminder on your forearm and fasten them as symbols on your forehead. Inscribe them on the door frames of your house and gates. So these verses, uh, along with Deuteronomy 11, 13 to 21, and Numbers 15, 37 to 41, are called the Shema. Uh, they're called the Shema because the very first Hebrew word in verse 4 is Shema, which means listen or hearing. Now, I've got two sections to this mini-sermon of mine, and only eight to ten minutes to speak. He said seven. I'm not making seven, okay? So just, just expect that, okay? Uh, so that, but anything that I say this morning is going to be woefully incomplete. There's a, there's a lot in this verse, and you're just going to have to accept that, okay? And again, let me preface you know, my sermon and the rest of the sermons that, like Pastor Chad said, we're just regular guys. We're just dads trying to do our best every day. Just because we're up here speaking doesn't mean we have it all together. Now, when we look at verses 6 to 9, we see that there's some practical instructions that God gives the Jewish people. Um, and we'll get to those verses in just a moment. But I want to ask you a question. Why would anyone want to follow God's instructions in the first place? Well, there's a holy motivation to do so. When we look at verses 4 to 5, we see a minimum of three ideas that are to form the foundation uh, for why we do what God asks. First, verse 4 says, the Lord is our God. Verse 4 declares an allegiance to God as king over our lives. It is a matter of identity. When, we, when asked who they are, a devout Jew will likely say, me? I'm God's. So let me ask you, what is your identity, identity defined by? Second, verse 4 also says, that was a little weak, you'll get better. The Lord is one. So what does it mean when it says that the Lord is one? Well, when the nation of Israel was first being formed, um, in that part of the world, the surrounding cultures were polytheistic, which means they worshipped many gods. But the Jewish faith and our faith says, no, there is only one true God. And the Jews were able to declare that because God intervened in their history, revealed himself to them. And made the Jewish people distinct. It was, God, it was a matter of God initiating and creating distinction. So let me ask you, has God intervened in your life story? And how willing are you to let God make you distinct in our culture? Third verse 5 says, to love the Lord your God with your whole mind, being, and strength. Sorry. This is undoubtedly the most important aspect of the motivation we see in the Shema. It indicates that we are to have an all-consuming love of God. Everything I'm saying to you today comes down to how much you love God. So, how much do you love him? And are you convinced that he loves you? Your answers to these questions and the previous ones will partially impact how well you do verses 6 to 9. You see, verses 6 to 9 are practical and all about holistic integration. This is where I want to focus most of our attention. What we see in devout Judaism and the Shema is an integration or marriage of culture and religious life. In fact, one author commented, for the devout Jew, there is very little in daily life that doesn't have religious meaning. Now, in the Shema, we see this being described in one, physical symbolism, and two, pervasive socialization. So let's do the physical symbolism first. Verse 8 says that God's words are to be tied as a reminder on your forearm and fastened as symbols on your forehead. 
Now, devout Judaism interprets this literally. Uh, here's a picture. If you look at the picture, uh, there is a, a Jewish man. I think he's a soldier. And you can see that he's uh, got a box tied to his left arm and to his uh, forehead. Uh, and uh, these boxes are called phylacteries or tefillin. Uh, inside these boxes are some key scriptures, including the Shema. And these tefillin are worn during morning and evening prayer. The tefillin are worn in these locations to symbolize God's word is to be close to your heart, because that's your heart's on your left side, and to your mind. And that one's fairly obvious. As well, historically, the left arm is considered the weaker of the two. So there might be some additional symbolism that God's word provides strength to human weaknesses. Verse 9 says, inscribe them on the door frames of your houses and gates. Again, devout Judaism interprets this literally. If you look at the screen, here's another picture. Uh, I have a picture of a mezuzah. The mezuzah is an elongated box, often decorative, there it is, that contains the Shema on parchment paper and is attached firmly to the doorposts of the house entrance. You can see that it is put up at a slight angle. And now I'm not going to tell you why it's at a slight angle. You need to look that up later, okay? But it does have some meaning. But the presence of the mezuzah on the door frame is a reminder to that family that God is to be ever in their minds. The idea is to touch it when you enter, touch it when you leave. It's also a symbol to uh, visitors to the home that this family has a Jewish identity. So are you starting to see some integration of com or combination of culture and religion here? So for, who, for Jews who take the, their faith seriously, uh, physical symbolism is obviously important. But so is pervasive socialization. Verse 6 to 7 says, These words I am commanding you today uh, must be kept in your mind, and you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road, as you lie down, and as you get up. So in a nutshell, this verse is saying that your faith is portable. You can carry it with you to all your daily activities and use it to teach your children. In this verse, you really see that daily life and a godly worldview are merged. They're combined. All daily activities are to be infused with your personal faith, and children are to be right there receiving guidance at every step. Why is that important? Because it helps ensure that children develop a biblical worldview. If you don't give your children a biblical worldview, uh, nobody else will. And you're, this world will teach them something else. I'm a school teacher. I know that it happens. Okay? So, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. I believe that everybody in this room, if you are uh, a parent, and even if you are not a parent, uh, you integrate your, your faith into your daily life. So, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to talk to somebody near you about one thing that you do, have done, even if you're not a parent anymore uh, and you are in your senior years, uh, one thing that you do or did or hope to do uh, to integrate faith into your life and instruct those around you if, if you have some children. Go. Did you hear lots of conversation? All right. Let's get some volunteers here. I want some people to shout out. Uh, I, I, can, I can see you, I, so if you want to put up your hand, I can, I can pick on you. If you're, let's hear some things that people came up with. Who wants to? Morgan, you got, yeah, Morgan. Thank you so much, Morgan. Words of encouragement. Okay, great. Somebody else? Patient and loving. Keep going. Or some practical things that you... Come on, brag on yourself a little bit. You guys do some, some good stuff in this church. Doing it, Yeah, I've heard that from a number of people this week from, who have been talking to, doing your devotions in front of your kids. Ruth. Serving with your children. That's right. Any others? Dinner time conversations. Excellent. Okay. So we've got some ideas here. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I'm only giving you a small list of questions we could potentially ask. 
Um, and they're not meant to beat you down if you're not doing these things. They're just an opportunity to reflect, okay? So first, uh, is it possible that a mezuzah for your home could be a helpful reminder? Okay, just something to think about. It's not a requirement, but something to think about. Second, what family traditions can you start in your own home that have biblical significance? Third, are there kid-friendly books or media or games or apps that you can use with your kids regularly? Fourth, how often do you talk with your kids about their day and use it to steer them toward biblical views? Fifth, how often do you honestly talk about your own faith and struggles with your children? Six, are you opportunistic in your approach, just taking moments as they come to talk about faith with your kids? I've tried it. An overbearing approach won't work. Okay? Seventh, are meal times or car drives used for conversation that could become moments when you talk about what you believe as a Christian family? Eight, have you developed a good relationship with your children? Because this precedes speaking into their lives with godly instruction. Teenagers, I'm going to talk to you for a second. How open are you really to talking to your parents about your challenges, doubts, and the stuff that you face as an adolescent? Conversations are often a two-way street. Teenagers are really good. How was your day? How often do you serve others as a family? How often do you talk about other religions and worldviews to help them see the difference? Finally, do you spend time with your kids analyzing media to assess its content? So there's a lot there, isn't there? I mean, uh, to talk about the Shema completely would be a whole sermon series. And at this point, you might feel like, wait, there's no way I can live up to, that, to those high standards. Um, let me encourage you, though. Biblical standards are not meant to crush you. Biblical standards are not impossible goals that you continually fail to reach. Instead, they are a destination you commit to walk towards. What is important is your commitment to keep taking steps. I've got one last picture here. I'm going to wait for it. There it is. Men do really stupid things sometimes. Look at these guys, especially the guy on the left. He's got tables stacked on top of one another. I, I'm doubtful he survived. Uh, and the other guy, he's not much better. He's creative, but he's not much better. Um, and you know what? Sometimes Christianity is like that, too. As Christians, we repeatedly try to reach impossible goals when we really need a perspective change instead. What we should be doing is just taking steps one after another towards a destination. Take a step, and then another step, and then another step. So to everyone hearing today, keep taking steps. Men, keep walking. Thank you. This is not for, for, for today, in case there was a panic. I'm Andrew Lakin. Nice to be here. I went to a university in North Carolina, Appalachian State University, and near there, there is a, an amusement park called Tweetsie Railroad. It's very tacky. It's a tacky park with a, an old, restored, coal-fired steam locomotive that is pretty cool. Park's bad. The, the train is cool. Is there a picture? Maybe not. Okay. The, the train would take visitors on a track through the mountains, and there would be various scenes along the way depicting comical scenes, stories of the old frontier days, and it was not politically correct. They were not depicting stories of the cattle ranchers and the First Nations people. Uh, it was cowboys and Indians. Okay, I had a friend who worked there. There it is. That's Tweetsie in all its glory. I had many friends that worked there, and one was Italian. They said, you've got dark skin. You be an Indian. Not politically correct, right? 
So, um, but he, he loved it. He would lie out on the rocks, work on his tan, and then when the train sounded his whistle coming around, he knew he'd go to his place. The train would slow down, jump on, scare some kiddos, jump back off, and do a comical scene with the cowboys. It was usually really painful and bad. But anyway, then one day, he jumped on the train, and there's an aisle running down the middle, and this little kid steps out into the aisle probably six. He's got boots. He's got chaps. He's got a vest. He's got a cowboy hat. He's got a two-gun rig, and he's got a star on that vest. And my friend said, he just froze. They just locked eyes. He didn't know what to do. Somehow, I don't know how this happened, but a tumbleweed went rolling by. <laughs> it's true. It's not true. And then the little boy pulled out his gun and threw it at him. And this is back when they still made metal guns. And this metal gun went spiraling towards my friend's face and struck him right between the eyes and made a deep cut. And you know how cuts on the face can really bleed? Well, blood just started gushing down my friend's face. Little boy burst into tears, runs to his mother. She scoops him up and says, it's okay, honey, it's okay. It's fake blood. It's fake blood. My friend just went staggering off the train in search of medical attention. <laughs> but I have a question about the boy. What was it about the boy that enabled him to step out into the aisle? Anybody know? What, what was it about him? What was it? Courage. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd say he knows who he is. And I'm glad that Jason's already started talking about that. He had a badge, right? That badge meant something to him. He had authority. He's the sheriff, dadgummit. Nobody coming near my mama. <laughs> right? And so he was able to step out. And then something happened. And he forgot. And he went running to his mother. I think that happens to us. Sometimes we step out in the face of adversity or fear or conflict, difficult situations, and something erupts. In this situation, it was my friend's face that erupted. Something erupts, and we forget, and we, we run. So I want to talk about fear and authority. This kid was able to step out against the scary thing because he had a sense of his authority. He had a badge. But sometimes in us, we can also forget when fear overwhelms us. What are we afraid of? So many things. It's a long list, unfortunately. We're still coming out of a pandemic. There's been fear of COVID, fear of the vaccine. And then there's monkeypox, right? And we need to be careful of the media. Because they have a saying, if it bleeds, it leads, right? Because... The more sensational, the more scary, the more clicks, the more eyeballs, the more money they make, right? And so we have to be wary of that. Remember murder hornets? Remember that? They were just called Asian hornets, but that's not scary enough. So they called it murder hornets, right? They want to keep us afraid. And there's lots to be afraid of just in normal life, right? The future, afraid of failure. Finances, how are we going to pay for this? Parenting mistakes, have I screwed up my kids? Yes. <laughs> yes. Some parents save up for their children's education. We're saving up for their therapy. <laughs> it's life. It's normal, right? How about this one? If anyone really knew me, they wouldn't like me. That's a deep fear that many struggle with. So when fear shows up in our lives, recognize it. Step out into your authority, like David did when he went after Goliath. And I love this. He spoke it out loud. Let's look at this text. 1 Samuel 17. He, Goliath, looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, 
You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Woo! This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Amen is right. David stated his authority. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the angels' army, the armies of Israel. To make another allusion, Lord of the Rings. Any Lord of the Rings fans out here? Gandalf does the same thing. Tolkien was a believer. And he has Gandalf state his authority when he confronts the fiery demon of the Balrog. Okay, Now, I know that David's authority is fact, and this is fiction. I do know that. It's just an illustration. <laughs> but Gandalf says, is there a picture? Yeah, it's scary. That's the big scary Balrog. But he has Gandalf say, I am a servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Anor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you. Go back to the shadows. You shall not pass. Everybody know that last part? Everybody say it with me. You shall not pass. Excellent. Sometimes we need some of that, especially as fathers, because we can be gatekeepers of our home, and we need to be able to say that. But I also need to say that fear is not a Balrog. Fear is not a giant fiery demon. I imagine that's how it wants you to imagine it. But it's probably a little greasy weasel, right? Maybe something like that. <laughs> Not very scary. Wants you to think it's scary. Wants to be seen or thought of as scary. First Peter 5, 8. Scripture says, Our enemy is like, Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And as we were reminded in our Bible study on Thursday night with Shifting Atmospheres, like a roaring lion. He's not one. He's not one, but he's like a roaring lion. Wants to be perceived as a roaring lion, but it's a little greasy weasel. I tell my kids, it's like fear is like a dog with no teeth. All it can do is bark. All it can do is sound ferocious. But let's not blow it out of proportion. Fear wants to be thought of as a giant fiery demon. It's not. The great 16th century German theologian Martin Luther. I got a picture of Martin. He said that sometimes he resists the devil through prayer and fasting. And sometimes he chases him away with a fart. Can I say that? Can I say that here? I, I already did, so I, sorry, man. But he said that. So let's remember who we are. Jesus Christ gives us his authority. We can step out into the aisle. We can face the bad guy, the giant, the Philistine, the demon. We can face the financial crisis, the day-to-day -day traumas. We don't need a two-gun rig. We don't need a sling and a stone or even a magic staff. We serve the Lord God Almighty, God of the angel armies. We are chosen. We are a royal priesthood. The blood of the Lamb of heaven is on us. You cannot touch us. Go back to the shadows. You shall not pass. But don't get too worked up about it. You can also just eat a bowl of chili, and that might work too. <laughs> Amen.
Hey guys, how are you today? Good, I'm Damien Riley. I'm the last of the three for the veteran to come up here and take this home. So I won't be long, but I want to share something with you. I want to share my trophy with you. Check this out. Isn't this cool? So I'm going to see if we can get this around the room before I'm finished up here. Okay, there's a little message on it. So let's start here. On your mark, get set, go. So I'm Damien, and if you are my children, stand up. There they are. They're my, those are my beautiful children. Yeah. Abigail, Joseph, what's the other one's name? <laughs> Hannah, Josiah, and we've got little baby boy over there, Grayson, being held by my lovely wife, Sarah. Yeah, she's a lady that has to put up with me. You guys can sit. But I do want to, as I prepared this thought, it really challenged me because the typical Father's Day's message is spoken of a father who's present. And we paint the story of this wonderful father and this man, this macho man who is there and that does a good job. And, but not everyone's life was like that. Can someone relate? Some people had a father that was present. And it says if they weren't there, some people didn't have a father at all. And some people didn't get the chance to know their father and knew their father and they were taken on. So, but one of the things that I've been taught to do is recognize spiritual fathership. And do you guys believe that we get fed well here at Bethel? Yeah. And we have to recognize that that comes from somewhere. And there is spiritual fathership here, which we have to recognize. Um, The man that carries that mandate, Pastor Chad, I recognize you. I honor you as... And there's fathers of spiritual fathers. The veteran will come later. (laughs) But if you can put up my first slide. I have a very simple message. And it's a message that, where's the trophy at? Okay, still in that row. It's a very simple message. It's okay, I've got you. It's okay, I've got you. Okay? When was the last time, if I asked a child, when was the last time your dad said that to you? It's okay, I've got you. We're going to move on to the next. So before I go into explaining this verse, I do want to introduce the book of Timothy. It was written as a letter to a young man whose name was Timothy. Who knows Paul? Who knows a Paul? But this man, Paul, in the Bible, who was known at a point as Saul, um, he just a remarkable man. When you read through and see his life and how it was presented to us in the Bible and the impact he had even, he, he has had and still has on the church of today, that is a God's man. Would you agree? Yeah, so Paul wrote a letter, and there isn't much said to the history of who Timothy was. It didn't go in and tell about his life. All it mentioned was that he had a grandmother and he had a mother. And uh, pretty much this Timothy, when I read through Timothy, I relate to him in some ways. And I'm going to tie it in with the trophy. I relate to him in some way because Paul, as he traveled to different cities and spoke, he met this young man. And he brought up this young man in the faith. And he mentored him. And the letter that he wrote, 1st and 2nd Timothy, it was, this young man was now going off to do ministry. And Paul wrote this letter to him to address some of the things that were happening around him. No different if we look at what's happening around us. Just think of a young man out there who does not have that Paul to write him a letter, which kind of sets up to where I'm going to go with 
the responsibilities that we have got, not only to our household, but to be a man, a father, a father figure, a dad to those many young men who are out there. There's Sometimes these young, young people need to hear from more than just their father. Sometimes it's just it's that person sitting next to them to saying, hey, you've got this. You can do more. You've got greatness inside of you. And uh, I'm a little bit nervous, so bear with me. So as we look at this verse, let no man despise your youth. Okay, that one's for the youth. You've got your message for the day. You can go. <laughs> but be thou an example of the believers. Be an example of the believers in words, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. When we look at that, that's great, right? That's to be an example in all that's mentioned there. It takes something. But going back to Paul, let's look at who he was before he wrote all those letters. I think he was the baddest man that ever walked on this earth. If you think Goliath was bad, Paul was a bad man. Don't mess with that guy. Don't mess with the Paul. But Paul did what he had to do, right? He was under authority, and he had a mandate that he had to carry out, which had to do with persecuting Christians. Had no liking to Christians. And that would be us today if we were in that time. We would be here worshiping, worrying if Paul's going to come through the door. But along the way to, there is a place called Damascus, Damascus. And something happened as Paul was on his way to carry out one of what I think in history would have been written in history as one of the greatest attack against the church. And God had to intervene and said, hey, stop, hold up now, hold up. Those are my children. I'm not going to let this happen. So Paul was blinded, and he was sent to Ananias where he met the disciples, and they worked with him. And through that interaction, Paul's life changed to us now knowing Paul for who he is, right? So God intervened. And here we are where Paul's now raising up young men. Some of the young men that we've heard, Paul, Timothy, we've heard of Titus, and there's just so much, so much other people whose life was changed under Paul. So as I go on to the next slide, we think of our role as fathers. And uh, as I was thinking, I wanted to throw these slides in there um, just to, because as we think of who we are as men and as we think of our role as dads and father, it's we remember these opportunities we get to hold our ch children when they're young and it all makes sense. And as they grow older, it, things change, right? We don't get as hands-on and hold them up and throw them up and uh, tickle them and kiss them, and things change. But we still love them, right? Can you guys all, do you guys have that type of dad? Huh? Yeah, look. Who has that type of dad? Keep going with the slides. Keep going. How about this type of dad? Yeah? Do we have some of those in here? We do? Yes, that's the cool type of dad. But to the next slide. The role. To be an example. What does it mean to be an example? It's one who serves as a pattern to be imitated or not to be imitated. I believe there's two types of dad out there, a present dad and a not present dad, right? And the greatest effect, and there's so much materials out there that you can read into looking at the impact that the present father and the absent father is having on the homes. And it's, for me, I was an oddball that I didn't go through what the stats says, but if you look within having some affiliation and working with CAS, to some degree, you do hear of the stats of children that repeat the same cycles and end up going to jail 
and it's most of those start with the absence of a father. We talk about influence, the abilities to have an effect on the character development and behavior of someone or something or the effects itself. So we're given a mandate, and like Paul, Paul didn't take that seriously or lightly when he, when he wrote that letter to Timothy. And as, as you read through these books, one of the things that you see that keeps repeating, especially as you go through Timothy, is Paul didn't refer to Timothy as Timothy. He referred to him as son, right? He wasn't his biological father. He took him under his wing, and he took him as a son. I know there are people in this church who are doing the same thing, who are taking young people under their wing and trying to show them a better way because we're surrounded by that. And as I stand here, where's the trophy at? It's made in the middle. It keeps going. As I stand here, I know that there's people, there's men out there that are impacting life, influencing life, and creating change in children's life. But let's personalize, personalize this and relate it to the theme of today. It's Father's Day. It's Dad's Day. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? Right? For many of us, we woke up this morning and we kind of went off and spent some time just meditating on the journey of what father is. And for some of us, we're harder on ourselves. We sat back and we questioned, man, I'm just not doing a good enough job. Man, how have I allowed things to get so out of control? Man, I can't believe that I don't have a relationship with my child. There's so many different questions and things that we could ask ourselves or we might have asked ourselves. But I'm going to challenge you in doing a self-evaluation, Right? And how do I become the example so that my child can be the example? Think about that. And that's one thing I want you to do. How do you become the example so your child can be the example? What does that mean? I'm reading through this book right now, and it's a 21-day challenge for Dad and I. Took some, took some, took some of the wordings out of it. And... Uh, um, six principles. I call it the A factor, right? A, letter A, start off the alphabet, A factor, right? So how do we affirm affirmation, right? And when we think about that, the first thing, like how do we affirm our child, our children? And I know affirmation, it's one of those things that's difficult for fathers. And yeah, good job. Yeah, way to go, son. Way to go. You got this. You're good. But when it comes down to it, how well do we identify with our children's feeling, with our child's feeling? And I'm speaking to men here, right? How do you do it? When was the last time you cried with your child? Right? When was the last time you laughed, like I mean laughed until you got hurt? When was the last time you did that? It can happen. Sometimes I sit back and watch my kids do some things. And I laugh because I'm like, oh, your mama's going to get you. <laughs> That's all it is. And it's funny to watch. And then I have to intervene. Hey, it's okay. They'll learn. I always tell my kids, it's not me you have to worry about. It's your mom. <laughs> we love our mothers. But in Romans... 12, 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Think about our Heavenly Father. That's His word to us. That's, his, that's, him in, that's the word of God encouraging us that we have to be able to empathize with them. We have to be able to cry with those that cry. And relating this to Father's Day, fathers, it's okay to cry. I remember the first time my children see, saw me crying. I think they thought the world was coming to an end. Whole house went silent. Daddy's crying. Don't do anything. How about in the area of acceptance? Right? Acceptance 
It's the foundation for security. It helps your children believe that you will still love them no matter what happens. Right? And our children need to know that regardless of whatever situation and state they find themselves in, that daddy's got their back. I'm speaking to dads because I know them mamas. They've got their children's back. But dads, your children need to know they have you. This might not be applicable here, but where I'm coming from, this message would change life. Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory. Sometimes as a parent, I have to stop back when my children do stuff and I have to ask myself, okay, how would God have handled that? Have I done that before? If I have done the same thing before God? And how has he dealt with that with me? He's shown me grace. So sometimes I use the word, hey, guys, you know what? This is going to be a grace moment. Right? You're getting off this one. Appreciation. It builds significance. Matthew 3, 7. And suddenly a voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That was when Jesus got baptized. And... The central theme for me of my faith is tied into John 3.16. That, from a little boy, that verse, it stood with me. For God so love. I could stop there and that's enough for me. Love the world. Love Damien. That he gave his only begotten, he gave his only begotten son. Love gave. This journey that we're in. I'm speaking to fathers right now. And mothers, you have done a great example of this. But it's about giving. It's about giving everything that we are. It's more than material, but it's about everything that we are. So that we can, we can bring forth, duplicate something that we know is going to be. And I tell my kids, my job is to raise up children that are going to be honest. So... Regardless of whatever you do, if you've done something wrong, take ownership for it. Because it's about character building. And if we don't teach them from a young age of what character is and what it is to be an honest person, what, is it, what it means to be a trusted person, it's, we're going to continue to see the problems that we're having in, in society. Affection. In 1 John 4, verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It builds worth, a sense of loyalty. It's my most valued gift, valuable, valued gift from God. So we have to treat them like they are. How many fathers do we have in the house today? And I salute you. You're a father because you've been given a gift. And once you've been given a gift that has value, you treat it a certain way. I work in the car world. And I always tell people I have no attachment to cars. I'm not that guy who is going to be thinking about cars and I'll talk about cars, but... Actually, I won't say what I'm going to say in case you need to buy a car from me tomorrow. <laughs> but it's one of those things where we look after our most valuable thing. And sometimes we don't do such a good job with the most valuable thing, which is the children. So affection. They need our affection. They need our touch. They need to know that we're their approach. Sometimes we just have to take the tone down a bit, right? Love suffers. Love is kind. Love does not envy. We know that scripture from 1 Corinthians 13. Accountability. We've got to teach them to take ownership, to be responsible. I challenged a young man at work this week. Why didn't you have that done? Tried giving me an excuse. No, I won't buy it. I won't buy it. How much time do you have in a day? 
I try to live life without making excuse because I've seen where excuses have robbed me of many opportunities. And it's a great lesson to start teaching your children, teaching your young men. Because what I would love to see as we go forward is a generation that knows how to take accountable, that is responsible, that loves God. That can be done. Just like a Timothy, just like a Paul, you have the ability and opportunity to do the same. Availability. The Lord is near to all of us, all who call upon him and to all who call upon him in truth. All the above means absolutely nothing if our children do not have our time. Everything that I've mentioned. So we have to be there. We have to be there for them. They are our most valuable gift. So in conclusion, one more. In conclusion, I gave you guys a trophy. And uh, I had a Paul in my life. Where's that trophy at? Right there. Okay. On that trophy, it has a message, a little writing on it, and it said, Bishop McKenzie believed in me. Bishop McKenzie was the pastor of the church that I grew up in. And I remember as a little boy, you had to go to church Tuesday for prayer meetings, Wednesday for Bible study, and Friday for youth, and Sunday in the morning for first service, and Sunday at night for the last service. It was church, 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 church. And even when your parents weren't going, there was a bus that ran through the city of Kitchener and it picked you up and you had to get on that bus. It ran Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and for both services on Sunday. But Bishop McKenzie, that man drove all the way from Mississauga. He never missed a service. And I remember as a little boy, he came to me and he's like, God's got... God's got plans for your life. And I didn't know what that means. And he would always speak into my life. And I remember one day he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you. I'm going to let you share the message. And I thought, what? I'm going to share a message? So I went up and I did a message about maintaining to contain. And I think I didn't move from maintain to contain. Maintain to contain. Like your shoes, you got to clean it if you want to keep it. Maintain to contain. And that was my sermon. And that man sat in the front. And he's like, yes, good job. He made me feel like I was Bishop T.D. Jakes. <laughs> but that trophy, I got it when I was 11 years old. Because even before I knew anything, Bishop, the church decided to do a Bible trivia night. And to be honest with you, the only Bible verse that I knew was, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because at that time, at 11, I didn't really care to. I went to church because mom said you had to go. I read the Bible when mom told me to read the Bible. But I always remembered Psalms 23. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. I remember even when I became afraid, I would be, when in Jamaica, sometimes they tell you some scary things. And I would be walking through at, at night to certain places. And I remember I'd be afraid and I'd be like, Lord... Please help me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It became my prayer. It became my everything. And I remembered in that moment, preparing for this trivia, Bible trivia, and I did not know. I went blank. I went up there and I forgot everything. I couldn't even, I was nervous. I was sweating and I was tripping over everything. It made it back. So I went up there and I did my one Bible verse. And there was the scholars. They did well. They got their trophies. And I remember Bishop McKenzie went up there and he grabbed the mic. And he said, he usually sings a song. And then he called me up and he said, I'm proud of you. You showed up and he gave me this trophy. That was in 1994. 1994. My Paul saw something in me. And that man lived his life for everything we just talked about. He lived his life in a way that 
I pull from that to try to instill it with, within my children and within every young man that I meet. And for us, we have the ability to do that because there's young people, there's young men, there's young people, young gir- there's girls, guys, and I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone by saying that, but there's people that are young people that are struggling. And it doesn't take much. All it takes is for you to look at them and say, that last slide, it's okay. I've got you. If there's a young person sitting beside you, I want you to look at them right now and just say, it's okay. I've got you. All right, what a great presentation this morning. And thank you to Jason, and thank you to Andrew, and thank you to Damien. Wow, it's my job now is just to summarize. So if you can give me five minutes, here we go. Are you ready? I'm just going to summarize what I've heard this morning. I heard about a bird dog or a dog that kills birds this morning. I heard about a long marriage. I also heard about the Shuma. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. A holy motivation. I heard about identity. I sense brokenness in our speakers today. I heard about a mezuzah, how about taking steps. And then I heard about a tacky park called Tweetsie the Chain or the Train. I heard about a boy in the aisle who was wearing a cowboy hat and he had a badge and how we stepped and how we understood what fear <laughs> and authority was. And then we heard about David and Goliath and we were reminded today to step in to step into our authority that Jesus Christ gives to us. And then I was reminded through Damien this morning that there's a trophy out there and that we have the responsibility to be fathers who are present. And I like that phrase that Damien brought to us. It's okay, I've got you. And we need to know today that we are here in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he's the one that's got us. And sometimes we need a Damascus Road experience and that's okay because that changes us. And we got the example of Paul raising up a young man by the name of Timothy. And then we also had the challenge to be present with our influence and mentoring, uh, being example, affirmation, appreciation. John 3.16, availability, and reminded that we might be T.D. TD Jakes. How's that? How are you? Okay, all right. What a morning. What a morning. What a morning. I'm a grandparent. I'm a grandparent. And I just want to leave you with this. Uh, this uh, a couple months ago, uh, Gracie and I were. I have. I took her away. I took my uh, wife away on a little breakaway. We went down to Niagara Falls, but before we did, we stopped in Burlington and we met up with my grand, my son, uh, and his wife, uh, Steve and Carrie, and their two kids, uh, Ava and uh, uh, Ezra, and we took them to Boston Pizza. And we got in there, and uh, it was a great meal, and it was all together. That was four of them and two of us. And we sat there, and the bill was piling up. And as I sat there, I'm wondering to myself, man, how much is this bill going to cost? And then I was reminded of the words of our late superintendent, Lori Gibbons. And he'd always conclude his thoughts by saying, just because I can. And I reached in my wallet, and I said to the girl as she came to get the bills, I said, their money's no good. I'll take the bill. That was the Friday night. The Sunday night, we stopped back and watered down. And we decided that we'd be with the parents or with the kids again. So this is what grandparents do. And so guess what? We went out to Boston Pizza one more time. <laughs> and we're sitting around the table, and then once again, there's six of us, four of them and two of us. The bill's piling up. And I'm starting to think to myself, who's going to pay this bill? <laughs> and then the words came to me once again, just because I can just because I can. And parents and grandparents in particular, I just want you to know that you have responsibility today to pray, to pray for your children, to pray for your grandchildren, because that's our message. And we can't neglect what God has given to us. And we have a responsibility to see that the message is passed on to the next generation. It was three weeks later, I was down in Burlington. I met up with my children again, and we went to Boston Pizza again. (laughs) Matter of fact, we had the same waitress. And once again, it was four of them and two of us. I'm sitting there at the table again, and the bill's piling up. And I'm looking in, once again, I hear those words. 
I said to the waitress, I'll take the bill. Just because I can. Just because I can. Grandparents, I want to speak to you. You've heard it from our, for the younger ones, but grandparents, you can pray. Sometimes you can pay the bill. But most importantly, pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you so we don't fail this generation and that this generation will continue to be raised and given fatherly leadership as we heard today. We got a spiritual father here, and we're so thankful for our spiritual father, Pastor Chad, and we love him, and we pray for him, and we thank for the leadership that's going on in this church today. Okay, but today we need to be reminded that it is our responsibility. So, yes, let's pray and, and let's, let's pay the price just because we can. Oh, by the way, I'm going to see my son this afternoon down in Waterdown. We'll be going out to Boston Pizza. There'll be four of them and two of us. And the bill will be coming, too. And I'll look at the waitress, and I'll look at her. So give me the bill just because I can. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we thank you for the words that we've, words that we've heard. We thank you for the, we thank you for the pastors. Uh, we thank you for these men that are examples to all of us. And, Lord, we pray that on this Father's Day, it's not only just to remind ourselves of fathers, but, Lord, it's the role that you have given to us. It's a godly role. And, we, Father, we, Father, we pray, as you are our Heavenly Father, that, Lord, once again, that this place would know your presence and that out of this place will be a legacy that will continue. We pray, Father, that there will be children that will be raised up. There'll be God-fearing men and women and that they will declare the gospel that wherever they go and that they will uphold the message and that indeed they will step into their authority, that indeed they will be their example, that they will know what it is to honor you in every aspect of their lives and they will listen to that still small voice. So Father, we give you the glory and we give you the praise for what we've heard today, what's taken place in this house today and we thank you for everything that's going on and we'll continue to do and everybody said amen thanks for checking out this week's message Bethel Church Podcast we hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you and that you come back and check out next week's message as well 